Welcome back. This is Richard Sachs. I'm your host on Lost Arts Radio. I hope you're having a good week. And um, we got a lot of things, pretty intense things going on right now. And it's up to us to respond in ways that don't allow them to get a lot worse. Basically, you know, you know how much of the full version I should give you, but the, the sugar-coated version of the situation, I would say, is that we've got a satanic network of mafias controlling the world at the moment, and they intend total destruction of life on the planet, including themselves. And I don't say that lightly. That's after decades of investigation and all the way up to top levels and non-human levels, and we're seeing the effects of it right now. The only thing that stands in the way of that is that you have capability way beyond what you're being told on many levels, on the physical level, on internal levels, consciousness being the main one underlying everything. And so being able to shake off the hypnosis that is holding everybody in a position of going along with this as if we're helpless is a very high priority. And and one of the reasons that I wanted to get um, our friend Michelle Routon on the show today is she's demonstrated for a long time that she's shaken off that hypnosis herself very early and been helping others to do it. And the only way you can help others do that is if you do it yourself, and then it spreads. And when she was on last time, she was helping people realize that what was going on with the vaccines, especially for premature babies that were being lined up to be given the vaccine, even though they knew that some of them might die and would stop breathing and would need to be resuscitated in the conventional meaning of the term resuscitated, um, not the way they've twisted it now. And that was amazing. And um, we got a much more intense situation with that still going on, I'm sure. But now we've got a new generation of so-called vaccine that um, we need to talk about and what it really is. It has nothing to do with preventing COVID-19 or anything like that. And we'll get into the basics of why that's true and why you know it just from common sense. So we have probably three weeks of stuff to discuss today, Michelle, and we'll try to do that in an hour or so. So welcome and thank you for giving us the time. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So I think the basics, you know, and since this time is going to go by in a flash, 
want, I don't want to use it up by saying all of your credentials, but you're a nurse practitioner, right? Neonatal nurse practitioner. Um, You, well, I'm not, there's pages and pages of stuff, but functional medicine specialist, I think that's important because that has to do with everybody's health, not just newborn babies. Mm -hmm. And you have a sanctuary that just started right in town called Wonderfully Made Wellness Sanctuary. And you're actually an educator, I would say, as well as a practitioner in the usual sense. So uh, I want to lay out a couple of the basics right now that people need to be clear on because the media and the education system are working to make sure you're not. One of them is that the current so-called pandemic, um, there's no test for what they call COVID-19. And if you get that sunk in, you've benefited enough from the whole show and a bunch of shows. Because if you know that, the number of uh, laboratory-diagnosed cases of COVID is zero because they're all done with PCR or variants thereof. And you can correct me, Michelle, at any point, of course. But um, I would say... There are many providers that I've sat around with, like medical doctors, um, who they're like, where's this? This test for the Delta variant, I can't. I can't seem to order one. That's a special That's test, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so, how do they know what percentage of people have Delta? Because they couldn't possibly be testing for it, especially in the field, because we don't have one we can order. Yeah. I think I think the marketing department is the one to determine that. Mm-hmm. But right, but you know, it sounds radical, but to have a, a variant of a virus. Not only do you need a test for the virus, but to have, even design a test for the virus, you actually need a sample of the virus, not mixed with a lot of other junk. And if you don't have that, even if you wanted to make a legitimate test for the virus, you couldn't because you don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. And it sounds overly simplified, but that's really the situation we're in. So we've got this terrible pandemic that can't be proven to exist. And it's being carried on by the media and the government agencies, the health officials, and everybody focused on fear. And they need some sick people, obviously. Otherwise, eventually people would say, "Um, wait a minute, I know the pandemic is terrible, but is there anybody actually sick? And so to get sick people, the original theory was, well, we've got all these people with flu and everything else, why don't we just use them? And it seems to me they're still doing that, right? Do you agree with that, Michelle? I mean, there's there's so many things going around right now. <laughs> like, I had three kids come in today. One has the sniffles, one has a cough, but no fever, not the sniffles. RSV is going around. Um, they've been doing, which explained to me why you would do this, they've been doing a nasal vaccine study mm-hmm. trial for RSV that it's an RSV virus that expresses COVID proteins. That, like I, I read the whole study and I'm like, uh, what does that actually mean? So yeah. basically it's like a live, remember how they had the, the, the nasal flu vaccine. Yeah. And then they took it off the market because it was causing too much flu or they said it wasn't working. And then right. suddenly they brought it back in like last year or the year before. 
So now they're doing a RSV, which is a common cold, but it can be very bad for very young infants or babies that were preemies, things like that. But I, I found like a whole NIH document that they're doing. They've been doing a study on that all summer, but it's an RSV virus that expresses the COVID, like Corona spike proteins. And I'm like, why, why would you ever do that? Why, why is that a good idea? You know, and so now we have, we have all in our area, the hospitals are full with RSV, which is weird because usually it's more of a fall thing and hit at the end of the summer. And any of the employees there will tell you, like, we, we get full of RSV every year. There's a lot of really sick kids out there that can't handle it. Does uh, R stand but, for rhino something? Um, respiratory syncytial virus. RSV. Okay. Um, and, and the Dallas Morning News reported that the hospitals were full of COVID and they said that your child was going to die. Your child was waiting on someone to die. So there was a bed open. I'm like, A, all the staff I talked to at, the hosp- at those hospitals, the children's hospitals say it's, it's all RSV. It's not COVID. And two, like, what kind of crappy care are you giving that the only way to get out of there is to die? Like, what what's happening right. there? You know, but this is the fear. This is the constant fear that's being spun. Just to contrast and compare the two, what is the test to show for sure that something is RSV? There's a nasal swab. And I don't remember if it's, um, I don't remember what kind of test it is. Honestly, I don't use it very much. The only time I test for RSV is if a baby's like really small, like five weeks. Uh-huh. I want to know if that's what it is because I'm more offensive with that. Like I have a very low threshold for intervening. I've never had one of my patients admitted to the hospital for RSV. Um, but they don't even allow you to test kids that are over five because it's just like a cold with viscous exorcist snot. Like it's, Okay. Okay. It's not a big deal, but in the, you know, for here in Texas, they've spun this whole story like all the kids are dying of COVID and the hospital's like, well, it's RSV. Okay, all the kids are dying of RSV. And I'm like. So the main thing is fear. Fear, 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 constantly. I don't know if you saw it, but there was just a video that came out of a professional hypnotist that analyzed some of the the uh, programs that they were doing in Los Angeles to make sure that the school kids were as fearful as possible. And they were having them fill out a checklist every day about whether they were sick, whether, you know, all these different symptoms and their parents had to help them fill it out, ask them all these questions. Are you sure your head doesn't hurt? Are you sure you don't have trouble breathing? You know, things like that is very professional. I mean, that children are very impressionable. Right. They are, you know, like the kid that lives in the tiny home on my property had a really bad cough. I finally got him out of it with like a Chinese medicine herb. Okay. But my three-year-old's like, I need some supplements. I have a bad cough. It's like, he just is hearing us talk about it. And so now he has a cough and he needs some attention. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't take much to get those kids going. And just by asking them those questions every day, they're going to decide they have it. Yes, Apparently, that's the point like that now too but i mean that's just the way a child's brain works and i consider that to be child abuse to be honest that we're going to teach these kids that germs are dangerous um you're Mm -hmm. great you're dangerous to your grandma 
Um, exactly. You should be afraid of everyone and everything, and and other people can kill you with their germs. I mean, it's like how do you you right. can't live your life like that? It's it's all based on fear. I can't imagine the amount of trauma. Um, these children are going through with masks on their faces or having to deal with people with masks, which can be very scary and cuts down on half of their intel, you know, when somebody's talking mm-hmm. to them. Um, what are we going to deal with with these kids when they're young adults and adults? Like there's there's going to be major fallout. Right. I'm still seeing a lot of people with masks on and putting masks on their kids. And the kids are being shown videos in school about everybody should be in a mask all the time. Just in, I mean, you wouldn't think so if there was common sense, but apparently there's not much of that at all, or this fake pandemic would never fly. So for all the millions of parents that are saying, you know, just believing that the masks are protecting them and protecting their kids. And I, I mean, I've seen signs in, stores that say your mask protects me my mask protects you um is there is there anything that you can say to the people that kind of jars that belief system into common sense about it are you feeling like it's still possible to talk to some of these people I, I think at this point, if you still have a mask on, I, I don't think that it's possible. Like we've already been through it all. It's cotton. Viruses are this small, this many microns. Cotton only holds this many microns. But like we've already we've already been through all of that. Like if I walk right. by you and I spray you with lavender essential oil and you have your mask on, you're like, hmm, that smells good. Exactly. It goes right through. Like probably it's not working. And if you at this point, if you still have your kids in it, I, I can't. I don't know. I think what really sends me over the edge right now is I'll be walking around downtown um, and most people don't have masks on, but there will be kids that have masks on and the parents don't have them on. Oh, so so it's okay for you to breathe fresh air and oxygen, um, but it's not okay for your kid to. I assume it's because the parents are vaccinated and the kids are not. I don't know. My children literally never even touched a mask, not once. Right. There's no benefits to masks at all, as far as I know, right? I mean, do you, you know, know of any? No. For years, um, you know, we're taught in hospitals PPE, you know, personal protective equipment. Mm-hmm. We have to be trained to use it. There's a specific way to use it. We didn't even give it to the lay people because they would just end up contaminating things and doing weird things with their masks and their gloves and all of that. Like, that was mm-hmm. our job. Right. Um, and now everybody just walks around with a sloppy cloth of cotton on their face that they touch all the time. And we have adult impetigo, like bacterial infections and way more bronchitis and sinus infections. Yeah. Because Serious drawbacks to wearing a mask, so, you especially, know, especially for kids. Especially for kids. But I mean, you have to imagine like you have these kids that are developing and like, me talking like this, and then you see my entire face. There's no comparison. There is no comparison. It is it is really not good for them. And one of the biggest things I've had to go through with my kids is that um, they think the ma- you know they think the masks are scary. My younger ones are three and five. That's like prime age for imagination and all of right. that stuff. And they do actually lip read still at that age. Some to like piece things together if they miss something. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're reading your body language 
And so when we would be out and someone would try to talk to them and they were like, and I would say, if you would like, if you would like to speak to my child, please take your mask off. Like they don't, they good, don't like that. Good, good. And I had to go through with the kids, somebody without a mask, they'd be like, ah, they can make you get out of them. I'm like, no, 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 that's rude. Like, right. Right. You know, we can, this is mommy's friend or whatever. So having to go through like, teaching them how to draw boundaries and, and what the appropriate boundaries are. And then sometimes yeah. even as an adult rethinking if that's really the best way to teach that, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's insane. I, uh, the, the situation with masks really is simple. I mean, it's psychologically harmful because you can't see half the face of the person that's talking, especially for kids that are developing in certain ways that adults have already done. Hopefully. And it also gets in the way of breathing. I mean, it's really, really simple. You're supposed to get rid of CO2 and the other gaseous wastes out of your exhaling, right? And you can't do that. And it cuts down on the oxygen. And they put these meters behind it, behind the mass, showing that it's not even acceptable for an ocean environment. Right. What you're living in behind the mass. So masks are child abuse, Mm -hmm. right? That really is people that I say that, but I'm like, I, I just could not imagine taking my three-year-old and being like, okay, you need to wear this on your, I mean, I just, yeah, I'm not going to hold my kid down and shove a swab up their nose to coat. Right. That's the meat. I'm not. Doing yeah. So the, the testing is another, and, oh, and, and one other thing we should say about the mask that some people still don't know right out of the package, a number, a lot of them have shown to be contaminated. Mm-hmm. And it looks like they're contaminated with long, black, moving fibers. Mm -hmm. I've watched the... I have a friend that um, has a microscope that did, like, this steam test. Yeah, yeah. So terrible. I wonder if they're related to graphene oxide content. That's what I wonder, too. I mean, it says... You know, but it says on the swabs, it says slash EO on it ethylene oxide, which is a known oh. cancer-causing agent on the swab. Yeah. On the swab. Mm-hmm. Okay, so masks are, you know, should be incredibly obvious that they have no benefit and they're very dangerous and harmful. We're just going to move move through the basics really quick. And yeah, I the, think there was somewhere that, was it my mother-in-law? Because she, she's like, whatever, but she also doesn't like conflicts. She's like, whatever. They want me to wear a mask somewhere I will. And I saw a box of masks on her table that literally says, not a medical device. Right, right. <laughs> so we have no responsibility for what happens. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> okay, now the testing. Testing, it, if, <clears throat> excuse me, if the virus were really that contagious and terrible, you could test for it. By breathing on a swab <clears throat> or touching the outside of your mouth. Mm-hmm. But they put it up your nose, almost to your brain. Mm-hmm. And that's if the swab is clean. But it has little hook fibers on the end of it, right? Mm-hmm. The ones they use <clears throat> that are supposed to scrape the tissue. Yep. And it comes up against what's called the cribriform plate, where the olfactory nerves go through to the brain, right? Mm-hmm. And it's all porous. And it makes you wonder, why do they want to be fooling around next to your brain? Well, and why, 
they actually put on there that there's ethylene oxide in it. Like, why would you need ethylene oxide in it? No offense, but I can go, I can go get a Q-tip for heaven's sakes and get some snot and do an RSV test with it and it will work. Mm. Like, I don't need something with a substance on it. I just need something to carry the matter. Is there some reason they would say they put ethylene oxide on those things? On? On swabs? On, so it's on the package. So I had seen another doctor talking about it. I had a doctor call me that has them in the office and said, it actually says like splash EO on there. There are, there are medical professionals looking into it. Um, so I know one doctor that just orders separate sterile swabs for the people uh-huh. that need to have the test and they use just a different swab instead of the one that comes in the test kit. But it does bring up the question of what else is on it that they forgot to put down. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Not a tremendous trust building thing. Uh-uh. No. So, th- and besides, even if they did a test on the outside of your mouth, if it's going to go to a PCR analysis, that doesn't say anything. You're going to pick up so much. You, even in somebody's mouth, there are spit tests now that they have. Right. Um, but you're going to pick up on so, so much matter and all sorts of different viral matter that could kick off a positive PCR. Um, I always tell people PCR testing was invented for genetics. It was a lab, yeah. like a high, right. high-tech magnifying glass, basically. Yeah, like you're, you're running um, replication until you get enough replication so that you can run the test to see what the genetics are, right? But and don't you have like, to have a sample of what you're looking for to make that You meaningful? have to have a sample, but they're also running replication. Like there's so many cycles. So it was like, right. And of course I'm not going to remember numbers now, but mm-hmm. right after Biden took office, they dropped the PCR cycles from whatever, however many cycles we were doing to yeah. this many cycles. And they said, Oh, there's so much. Love just COVID. just, like, just him getting into office was an amazing healing. Effect, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Okay. <sighs> so it's completely bogus. I mean, you can make it if you're using a PCR and you can and you are changing however many cycles, PCR cycles you're running, you can change all sorts of things for better, worse, more positive, more negative. Um, And there are videos of the inventor of the PCR test saying this is actually what this is for. He said it could not be ever used for diagnosis. Yes. So it's perfect for the fake pandemic. Mm-hmm. So, if there's no, how can I say it? It's like it's not just the cycles; it's what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Because if you admit that you don't know what COVID nineteen looks like, or SARS CoV two looks like, it doesn't matter what you turn the test up to magnification, because you don't know what you're looking at. Right, And somehow we have millions of labs going along with it. Well, maybe not millions, but thousands probably. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder what they're thinking. I don't think anyone is thinking. I mean, I, I have to keep telling myself that. I was like so angry this morning dealing with the hospital um, medical kidnapping situation. And I'm just like, right. I don't understand what these healthcare workers are thinking. What are they thinking? And I just have to, I guess they're not. I mean, everybody's so trained to toe the line yet again 
Are we that? What our new policy is, so I'm just going to do it. I mean, yeah, I mean, we are that far gone, I guess, right? Where almost nobody has basic logical thought anymore. Mm -mm. That that's hard to absorb. I think Mm -hmm. if you're not one of the zombies, I mean, maybe we're zombies at levels we don't know, but compared to the average, you know, if you're somewhat aware of what's going on, it's really hard to. You know, I've watched, Alex has had some great shows and a lot of other people exposing what's going on. But they have these, and Mike Adams and all these other people, but they have doctors on there who say, oh, yeah, the pandemic is a hoax. The numbers are, you know, really low. They don't get it. There are no numbers. They come out of the PCR test. Yeah. Or when they're like, look, the peaks. You know, we're yeah, no cases. Peaks twice, and we're you know, this is over. And I'm like, it's, there's it's damage not over because they're just, it's going to be whatever they want it to be next. Like, right? I, yeah, right. So if that is all bogus, and the flu and colds and RSV and all these things are pretty much just going along normally and being renamed, then. Why would you want to have a pandemic like that? I think that question should come up. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons, apparently, is to get everybody to have the shot. Mm-hmm. And not just one. Not just They're one. Ta- it's Two, evolved. Now it's three, and then it's going to be every six months. Or- <clears throat> exactly. It's never, it's never going to end as long as the people keep going for it. So there's a few basic objectives which you can just get from observing one is they want everybody to get a lot of injections Mm -hmm. another one clearly assuming these things aren't just happening by wild chance and at random which i don't think anything does really if you understand it another objective is to shut down business Mm -hmm. and totally destroy the economy Mm -hmm. and you know that because there have been more serious sicknesses in history and they didn't do this and the response is shut down business make sure production ends and money supply explodes and people think they can't understand economics that it's really complex but the basics aren't and if you stop the supply of goods because people aren't allowed to work and companies close and you explode the supply of money then the money becomes worthless. Mm-hmm. Each dollar is proportionally less mm-hmm. in what it'll buy. And so they're, they're doing that as fast as they can. And apparently there are plans for handing out a whole bunch more money, which keeps people believing that the government's trying to help them if they don't understand. And then when the money won't buy anything, they have to switch to a central global money system mm-hmm. where you get digital money but it's conditional. So if you say anything out of line um, or do anything out of line, you, you just don't get your money that month. Mm-hmm. Or you're not vaccinated. Or, or if you're, you're yes. Or come to your weekly, like, nose, brain jab or whatever it is they want you to do. <clears throat> exactly. Um, I'm, I just keep watching, like, um, the housing you know, the houses are worth more and more and more and the properties are worth so much money. And I'm, 
I'm like, where's all this money coming from as it's being, it's being issued on computers. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then just look at all you have to do. I always tell people, if you want to know what's going on with the dollar, just watch your food bill. Right. Yeah. Food prices are, are reflecting not that the food costs more, but the money is worth less. Yep. Same thing. I mean, my food bill right now is astronomical. Um, you know, we have You're, our family. We have people over to eat all the time. We eat very clean food. You, you don't buy. I mean? like, you don't buy the cheap junk. No, nope. And there's a big connection that the medical industry forgot to mention between what people eat and the condition of their health. Mm-hmm. Forgot to mention that in medical school too. Yeah. <laughs> So a lot of the doctors are getting it like six hours and all of to- that. Total. Yeah. Total. And you know what they're telling him is like, you know, milk does the body good. And that's right. So does Wonder Bread. Corn oils better than all the other oil. And you need right. to have any servings of grains a day. And mm-hmm. Roundup is fine. I mean, GMOs are good for you. Yes. Exactly. They, fight, they fight climate change and everything. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's total deception, and one of the areas that they chose to use to change society is health, because people have been told, taught to worship the health authorities and never question them. Mm-hmm. So it's being used with bad intent right now. And the people are saying, cases are doing this, or doing that, and they're going by lab, you know, publicized cases. It's all fake. That's not it. There are no... Um, official cases. So all the numbers are bogus. I mean, really, they're just using it as a weapon. It's all like your COVID diagnosis in the hospital is a weapon against, like, basically, they're stripping all of your life, your rights from you. You say, yes, this is a COVID, a positive COVID test. And they stick you in the COVID unit. That's right. You lose all your rights. Yeah, which is really interesting because it's all based on the idea that the rights that you have, which was the foundation of the idea of starting America, is that your rights come from God and they're unalienable. Mm-hmm. That you can't just declare an emergency and have no rights. Mm-hmm. And they're like, figuring nobody remembers that. Like the First Amendment? Yeah, exactly. Like, all oh, of- during a pandemic? No, you have no religious rights. <laughs> You know, right? Yeah, because if there's no patient bill of rights in the hospital anymore, if you are positive for COVID, have they written that down in the policy? No, I mean maybe, but now I will tell you that they are doing um, decision trees, and their decision trees for COVID, they are taking into account your vaccination status mm-hmm. and what treatments you get, or which bed you get, or all of that kind of stuff. Like it is, it has been written into decision trees. I've had nurses um, send me a few from all over the country begging me not to share them, but it's in there. Right. And of course, I mean, it's blatant now. We have stories in the media of doctors saying, I'm just tired of all of these unvaccinated people coming in here. They should just stay at home and die. Like, send all the smokers with lung cancer home too. And if somebody comes in in an ambulance after a car wreck and they didn't have their seatbelt on, you should just, kick their butts right out the front door and watch them bleed out in front of you. I mean, but and like, yeah. people are watching this going, I agree. 
I, yeah, it's like, wait a minute. No, it's, <laughs> how are how are people functioning? They're they're repeating what they're hypnotized to believe. Mm-hmm. I, and, I really I had a moment this morning because I've been dealing with all of these hospital situations, and I'm so overrun. I mean, there's over 150 messages a day. I just literally don't respond to, which is right like very upsetting and draining on me, but I literally can't like I, I could work all day and all night and never sleep or see my family or deal with my own clientele and run my own business. Like literally I could do that 24 hours a day and nothing else. And I still would never even make a dent because they take these patients, they don't update the family they, these patients that are not doing well, they're getting informed consent from them, which is a complete lie. Even you'll have um, loved ones call, talking to the person on their cell phone and calling the nurse and going, he's not in his right mind. Like, he, like this is not how he is. Oh, no, he's lucid. He's fine. So I started having people. So when you, if you have to drop somebody off that's sick, have them immediately sign a durable medical power of attorney over to you or over to someone in the family that knows medicine or has, you know, a titanium steel rod for a spine, like something that they're having to deal with you and not bully this person, especially right. if you're committed with COVID. Right. And so the person that I, that this morning when I said, make sure you do this, she was like, they said they didn't have any of those there. I'm like, what, what? Uh, an entire hospital with like 780 beds, has no medical power of attorney paperwork. Okay, so like this is where every every single turn that we take, we're like, we are not going to stand for this. This is not okay. You're medically kidnapping these patients and then medically neglecting them and emotionally abusing them by leaving them by themselves. When I'm like, okay, well, just sign over a medical power of attorney because then they can't bully the person who's sick. They have to deal with the loved ones. Now they don't have the paperwork. I'm like, just push the print button on your computer and print right. it out. Okay. And so, I, that's what I wonder with these healthcare workers. I'm like, where's your brain? Like, what, are, what on earth are you doing? That's been the objective of the educational system for decades is to make sure nobody can think. You know, but let's put the context on what you're saying. These people are in the hospital, right? You're talking about people that are in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And we've, we've just debunked the pandemic. So what are they in the hospital with and for? What got them in the hospital? I don't know. They can't breathe. I can tell you that. Okay. And, and that is and going around. I call around. it all COVID pneumonia. And I'll, like, when I get involved with these people, I'm like, well, what have you done for them? Like, what are you doing? Well, they're on oxygen. I'm like, but what are you, do- like, what are you treating them with? Um, well, we, we, we're giving them remdesivir. I'm like, well, uh, eight to 30% of patients on that have kidney failure and other organ failure and die. Okay. And it yeah. doesn't work very well. It's, it stops MRNA viral replication. Like our, like we've never read a chest X, a chest X-ray before and said, oh, I chest X-ray, fungal pneumonia, COVID pneumonia, flu pneumonia bacterial like it's an x-ray you can see what the lungs look like but we have all of these people that they're not treating with anything and they give them like 500 milligrams of vitamin c and say they're giving them vitamin yeah yeah miracle like they don't mitigate inflammation 
Um, they have people on 60 liters of oxygen, which is a ton, and they refuse to start an IV to give them fluids and nutrition. I had one patient that I'm like, he says he's dying of thirst. Well, he can take his his BiPAP mask off and take a drink of water. I'm like, why can't you just give him an IV? Like, you know, he's expelling so much moisture dealing mm-hmm. with all this air. Right. Like, what are his electrolytes? Oh, we don't check that in COVID patients. I'm like, are are we in Haiti right now? Is your lab machine broken? Like, why? They're just not doing anything. They have their protocol that the government gave them that's right. terrible, and these people are just in there dying. Meanwhile, we have an IV place down in Dallas that's giving people fluids and vitamin C, and they'll run a blood count on them and go, oh, yeah, it looks like you have an infection. They'll give them IV antibiotics, send them home. They're fine. I mean, they're like... I feel like they're running like a mini hospital. <laughs> they're just actually treating people. So these people that we know the policies and the protocols are different and they're coming down probably from CDC and maybe the UN and WHO and everything. But are these people victims of a sickness that was happening before? Is this any different or is it just renamed or what do you I think? think it is different now. I feel like it's different right now than it was last year. And it seems like the men are having a harder time than the women. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't know. You don't know what it is, but you know what helps it. Yeah. What the general symptoms of what you're talking about, is it inability to breathe? Mm-hmm. The same as they had in New York City when the supposed pandemic started? When they had the syndrome and they, the lungs were working fine, but they couldn't get oxygen into the blood, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. And also, that's what, also though, I'll have, I had somebody call me yesterday and they said, well, if he's not better, we're going to put him on a vent in two days. And I'm like, I've worked in an ICU before and a vent is a life-saving device that you either need right then or you don't. Like, how would you decide that somebody needs a vent two days from now? Either they're going to be worse when they're bad enough to need need a vent, or they're going to get better and they're not going to need it. Right. Isn't a a ventilator more appropriate if the diaphragm doesn't even work and there's no expansion of the lungs on its own? Right. So respiratory failure. Like the right, which is almost never the case in the people that they're putting it on. Oh, and I'm getting calls from people, and they they're not they're having a very hard time breathing. The you know the patient is in the hospital, and the hospital is saying we we're going to pitch him on a vent, and the person's like, no, no, I don't want a vent. I'm like, I, that's why I don't understand what these healthcare professionals are doing. I mean, they, I think they've been in this for 18 months and they've been taught for years, protocol, protocol, protocol. And this is the policy, follow the policy. And now we have the government involved, the CDC saying what they should be doing. And they're just doing it when it doesn't make any sense. Unless unless it's a self-fulfilling prophecy that you're trying to make the death numbers high enough so that everybody says, yeah, it is a terrible pandemic. We'll do whatever you want. I, at this point, this morning, I just closed my eyes. I'm like, I'm in a complete, 
I knew it was going to get bad and it's still going to get worse before it gets better. Mark my words on that. But I, my brain is a little lost right now. I, it makes me feel better that I have nurses contacting me every day going, I, I can't take this anymore. Like the horrible way they're treating patients in the hospital. I, I can't do this anymore. I'm going right. to have a different job. So, but the ones that can't take it anymore are leaving because they can't watch it anymore. And so, and then they're mandatorily vaccinating all of them. So all the ones are like, oh yeah, sure, let's do it. You know, so like we're whittling away, right? And as time right. on, all we have left are these core people who are really good at following orders and not yeah. tertiary thought process. And that's literally all you're left with. It's just like what they're doing to the military in a different industry. Mm-hmm. You know, getting rid, rid of the good people as fast as possible. And the objection, the objective is clearly to cause a lot of damage mm-hmm. in, on multiple levels. So what you've been doing that you're overwhelmed with right now, because there's way too much for one person to do, what kind of service were you giving these people that were, again, just to make it clear, these are people in the hospital, mm-hmm. respiratory distress syndromes, and there are two ways of diagnosis. One that means nothing, which is the... PCR test. The other is clinical observation. Oh, you can't breathe. I can't get oxygen. Have these different kinds of distress. You don't need a PCR test to know that. And they need help and they're being given bad treatment. So what kind of service were you trying to give them for being an advocate, changing the protocol? Well, I mean, I've been providing advocacy services for parents and hospitals for years. And so that would be people that were in labor and delivery, um, postpartum newborn neonatal ICU that felt like they were either being bullied or not listened to or uh, circumvented. Those are easy. I I have a hundred percent success rate with that. Parents are like lions who are really probably the maddest they've ever been in their life. And you wind them up and they're like, and that's it. That goes, okay, okay. You know? And so, Very rarely do I have to get involved now, especially in my area, since people know who I am in those units. I don't have to get involved. I did get involved. Uh, I have gotten involved twice. Um, one, I had a mom who delivered at home and then it ended up with a u- uterine infection and she had to be admitted to the hospital. And they told her she couldn't have her newborn with her because of COVID, but she could go to the garage to breastfeed the baby in the nasty garage in downtown Dallas every three hours. So you can imagine, I called up there and I was ripping everyone a new one. And surprise, she got to stay. She brought the baby in. I was furious. And the other one was a baby in the neonatal ICU and they would not listen to this mom. Like you're not putting formula powder in my kid's breast milk, you know? And and this is a weird unit with a, with a group of doctors that I've never dealt with before. So I had to call in. I got that all taken care of. And the medical director actually called me the next week to thank me and ask me some questions. I almost fell over. Wow. But now people have been asking me to get involved with COVID patients, which adults aren't my favorite because you have so many people involved. You have the patient. And we've already talked about people thinking doctors are gods and they don't want to argue with them and they mm-hmm. apparently believe hospitals are prisons. I don't know. Um, but especially if you're dealing with the older generation, but you'll have the patient or the spouse or one of the kids. If anyone is circumventing what you're doing, you can't get anything done. Um, but I've been involved because they take these patients 
that are positive for COVID and having a hard time breathing and they put them in the hospital and they do their crappy little protocol that is more harmful than good. I can't tell you how many calls I get that like he was actually better at home. Like he's tanking now that he's in there. And I really think it's this drug they're giving him. I'm like, it's probably the remdesivir over and over again, but they won't let them have visitors. The patients are very, very stressed out. They're scared because they're trapped in this little room. The staff have policies to only check on them every four hours to lessen or mitigate their contact with the disease. And like, it's been 18 months. I mean, for God's sakes, like if you haven't gotten it and died from it yet, you're the most exposed to whatever, what are you, you know, so they're kind of, they're neglected. They're not doing much for them. And then the family is like, we want this patient to have ivermectin. We want this patient to have high dose vitamin C. Are you giving D? Are you giving zinc? Like he can't eat and drink. Why isn't he on TPN IV fluids or, you know, all of these things. The doctors won't call them, the family to update. Um, The nurses are pretty rude and snarky to them most of the time. Like we're taking care of him. He's fine. And he's lucid. The patient's freaking out. And so I get involved and have them pull the chain of command. Like we're someone is coming in there to sit with that patient. And it's much worse than it was last year. Last year, their policies at least said if somebody wasn't lucid, you could have someone in, you know, there were all these different loopholes that we would just work on and get someone in. There's none of that now. They're just like, no, the answer is no. So we end up on a family care conference with their side, like at least one physician, nursing, maybe management or someone from administration, social work. Usually there's a lawyer by then if I've gotten ugly enough or the family has and then the family's on with me would be helpful. We've had a lawyer and, and I, I don't, I just don't have time to do this because it's so I'm booked and it's so time. It takes a lot of time. And then Mm -hmm. in a hospital, when you're trying to get a meeting with all of those groups, it's like, okay, we think we can do it at three 30. And I'm like, well, I'm booked at three 30. It just doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, if I can get a patient, a visitor, if I get a visitor in there, a hundred percent of the time they get better and go home. Wow. A hundred percent of the time. Why do you think that is? Well, one, they're not freaking out anymore. They're not scared, but they actually have someone to take care of them that's in the room instead of marginally checking on them for every four hours. And I highly suspect they're bringing them things and giving it to them in the room. Right. You know, like they're giving them things to mitigate cytokine storm and they're giving them anti-inflammatories and they're bringing them good food and fresh pressed juices and like, okay, it's been 15 minutes. Take a sip. I mean, they're just taking care of them. Yeah. You know? So which group of people would you like to tell what they're able to do on their own? Is this people who have a relative or a friend in the hospital who they start to suspect is on a protocol that will succeed in killing them? Or (laughs) which group is it that your information is most urgent to get to? I mean, I think that right now, the most important thing is that for everyone to realize, like, doctors are not gods, like, you are not a protocol, and your loved one is not a protocol, and a hospital is not a prison, and we're not going to stand for this anymore. I mean, they are medically neglecting these patients all over the country. 
You know, I'm seeing it just in my area, but I get I get contacts from all over the country and you don't have to stand for that. There are things you, you can demand things. You can use big, mean, ugly words. You know what I mean? You can say, hey, to the charge nurse, I'm not okay with this. We don't feel like my loved one is safe. He, he is medically neglected. You're not doing anything for him. Um, this is emotional abuse that he is by himself. And we are not going to stand for it anymore. The doctor hasn't even called us. We haven't even had a full update. And by the way, we don't think he's loosened enough to make his own medical decisions or he's asking for a medical to sign medical power of attorney papers because he's exhausted and he can't deal with y'all anymore. Do you think the protocols are, are worse being applied to a patient that's defined as a COVID patient? than the rest of the patients or are oh, they absolutely i mean what other disease do we go oh well you have tb sorry about that we're not going to do anything go home and when you can't breathe anymore come back i'll see if i can save you like yeah. there's no other illness or presentation of symptoms in like all of medicine that you literally do nothing until they're really, really, really sick. And then you're behind the eight ball and you're trying to catch up again. And they're, you know, I always told, I tell people years ago when they came in and they wanted to do the um, electronic medical record. Right. So, right. It's so we can share charts. Mm-hmm. Your, you know, handwriting's bad. I'm like, this is bad. This I is remember. bad. The I next remember. thing they did was they wrote protocols. So it's literally like someone comes in for chest pain like you go to the order set and you're like, checking, click, sign. Right. There's no thought process. And so you're dealing with a total idiot that might be helpful, but like the order set is just supposed to be a shortcut for you that you don't have to pick each individual one, but you should still be looking at the picture and going, oh, and I need to add this and I need to add that. Right. What is now? What does the picture look like? Oh, you know, actually, I've noticed this. Let's make sure we handle that. Nobody is doing that. It's this getting more like, r- robotic. This is our proto- it's very robotic. This is our protocol. And if it doesn't work, he's going to die. Oh, if he really wants to be with someone, we'll just send him home to die. Being around people is that important. At a lawyer. Right. So there's two parts, maybe, of what your knowledge would help people with in that situation. One is how to get the hospital to do what they're supposed to do to actually make some positive difference. The other is, should they be in the hospital at all? Right. And what can you do without going there before you're, before you're at that stage? I think one of the problems we have is that the, the, the behavior of what's going on in the hospital is so absolutely egregious and horrific is that people don't want to go. And so when they get there, they're very, very, very sick. Okay. Um, But at the same time, I don't blame them because I really, I don't want to go in there at all either. Well, they don't want to go, but they don't know what to do to prevent having to go, right? Right, right. And then finding a doctor, um, you know, a lot of people would use like America's frontline doctors. And I think another one's called Push now, but now sometimes they're like, well, we can get to you in five days. Yeah, yeah, they're a little busy, right? They're having the same problem. So if we're talking about specifically, since the PCR tests are are bogus and meaningless, we're talking about people just noticing that they're having trouble breathing and the things that go with that, right? That's the category of patient we're talking about. Mm -hmm. So if they're... People 
know. You know how it is when you're sick. Like you get the thing, your throat hurts, and you're like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, I'm malaise, I don't feel good, and then maybe you get the fever. Um, you know, I always say like the alternative people. We've we've kind of known what to do with that for a long time. So, yeah. what if people have no idea what to do with it? What would you um, tell them? We do vitamin D. So, like for myself. So I don't know anybody's other stuff. Right. You can say what you would do. For myself, if I start feeling something coming on, I do the vitamin D hammer. So I do 50,000 IUs of vitamin D two days in a row. And then I go down to 10,000 a day. Vitamin A, I'll do the vitamin A hammer for 200,000 IUs two days in a row. And then I stop because you you don't want to get toxic in that. But it uses the two big doses and we've been doing that for measles and other things for a long time i'll get my liposomal vitamin c and i'll take however many spoonfuls and i'll wait a few hours and i'll take some more and i just keep taking it until i get like my tummy rumbling like it goes you know it's moving all around or i get a loose stool to know that i'm saturated right and then the next day whatever that dose was if it was twenty thousand milligrams and tomorrow i'll take you know, 15 or 18 instead. So I just keep, I keep things like that up. Um, I rest, I drink plenty of water. I mean. It's not that complicated, really. Zinc. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Z- zinc, what kind of doses? And what kind of form of zinc? Um, I have zinc pic- picolinate. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, it makes me nauseated. So some people can take 50 milligrams a day, just fine. I can do about 20 milligrams. And if I think I need more, I can do it twice a day. Right. Uh, but the dudes tend to go overboard on that one and make themselves throw up. So it just can make you nauseated. What kind of vitamin C? I have uh, liposomal vitamin C, which there's tons of those. There's the lipospheric liposomal vitamin C. There, Numedica makes liposomal vitamin C. There's a lot of there's a lot of choices out there for now. Capsules or powder? Uh, I don't do the capsules if loading because if you have too many capsules, it can make your stomach hurt. Right. So powder or the liposomal is usually a liquid. Okay. Um. And then, you know, the current um, homeopathic remedy mm-hmm. using in India for the symptom set that is called COVID is phosphorus 200, mm-hmm. which we started out with a different remedy um, last year for that. But I find it interesting that it's phosphorus 200 because that's a remedy that you would use well for fear. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's what my doctor friend in Mumbai says, is they're using phosphorus 200 for that like symptom set now okay. to be working well. And of course, he also said over there, if you feel like you're getting sick and you can just go to the pharmacy and they'll give you a pack of what you need. So he said they're not really having any deaths over there. A pack of what you need, not. Like they'll give you a pharmacy pack of ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, zinc. It also has doxycycline in there, which is an antibiotic, um, which I find interesting that everybody, I mean, we should be judicious with our antibiotics, but I, I often wonder how many of these people have bacterial pneumonia and they're just not. Right, right, right. I don't think they're doing those packs in U.S. pharmacies. I'm just guessing. No. <laughs> 
<laughs> what kind of vitamin D were you talking about? Um, I have vitamin D3. I have one by Apex Energetics. It does not have K2 in it. I don't tend to load with one that has K2, but there's plenty, you know, once you're doing a maintenance dose, there's plenty that have the D3, K2 in there. Like orthomolecular has one, Thorn has one. Seeking That's when you're down to your maintenance 10,000 a day or international units or whatever you were saying. Yeah. If I'm trying to do a load, I do the liquid drops and hold it in my mouth for a minute before uh-huh. I follow and then I don't eat or drink anything for 50 Load meaning big dose. Yeah. Right. Okay, so that's people that I'm are... I'm talking- really bad at taking stuff every day. Just, so I'm like, you oh, mean you, you, you just forget? I'm just not... I don't know. I find as a mom, like my kids will be like, can I get my supplements? And I'm like, I dole it all out to them. I get to work. And I'm like, I was standing right there. Like I could have mm-hmm. taken my own, but your brain does check because the kids are taking... Right. All yeah. done. Okay, so those are the people that are trying to stay in good enough shape to not go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. And there's other things like, you know, there's so many mobile IV clinics now that are doing IV vitamin C and Myers cocktails with B vitamins and magnesium. Mo- mobile, you mean they'll, yeah. come to, they'll come to your house? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I didn't know that. Myers. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And there's okay. a always... There's there's IV shops around that you can go to, and then there's always underground people. Um, you just have to ask them around. What do you think are the most valuable IVs like in that category? The vitamin C. I mean, I really think the vitamin C, the the Myers cocktail, the B vitamins, and the glutathione push is making a huge difference for people. Right. And right. you just have to remember that we're all very stressed out. Like, even for someone like me who kind of lives in my own bubble, I mean, I live on a compound, for heaven's sakes, that I own. Like, we have four houses that have people in there, and we're all living the good life out there, and we have chickens and eggs. Yeah. Like, you know, when I come to my office, and I'm usually kind of in a bubble with the people that come to see me. Um, But still, it's very, very stressful dealing with all of this, especially for people who are working in an environment where it's like, did you get your vaccine? Oh, my gosh, your mask isn't over your nose. You're really stressed out. And when you're stressed, it drains your B vitamins and your glutathione. Right. And then you catch something and you don't have anything to work off of. And then you don't feel good. And you're trying to take all these pills and stuff. And it just. Right. Right. Yeah. Having the stress go away is definitely the best if you can do it, huh? Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, okay, so that's all that you mentioned, a, a little glimpse of normal life with the chickens and, and all the <laughs> yeah. different things like that. that. That's how it, you know, if we had that kind of situation for everybody, almost none of this stuff would be going it's Like when you get home, like go outside, stick your feet in the grass or the dirt. Yeah, grounding. Stop watching the one-eyed monster, as we call it. Turn the TV yeah, off. Get off yeah. Facebook, for heaven's sakes, that place is evil. Yeah, like t- uh, learn, learn to take care of yourself, mm-hmm. right? Which is, is not equal to taking drugs. Mm-hmm. Get out in the sun. It's, yeah, sun was a really good invention. And the, like it was okay. like the first health invention of all time. The, yeah, it's still working great. Things live and grow. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, and that for the people that end up in the hospital before they even realize what's going on, you can't really interact with them too much because they're isolated, but you could interact with a relative 
mm-hmm. somebody on the outside could get the idea of what to do. And that's what you were talking about on the Dr. Artis interview, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Which is great. Everybody should watch that. I thought it was really well done. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you want to recap the important points of that, that people can use this video in addition to the Dr. Artis video to be really clear on the current best strategy for dealing with a relative that's trying to help somebody who's in the hospital jail. Do you mean like getting to them to visit them or to, um, where you were saying the updated situation has even developed a little bit since you were on with Dr. Arnest, right? So I think you're talking to a relative or a friend Mm -hmm. who has somebody who's imprisoned in the hospital, uh, categorized as a COVID patient in, you know, distress physically and being made worse and on the track to being ending up as a COVID fatality. And mm-hmm. what do you what do you tell the person on the outside to do who has no idea, they just wish they could do something to help? I mean it's this I mean it's still the same is that you have to be the very loud squeaky wheel and just say, I'm not going to stand for this, but you have to go through the chain of command. And so I talk about the chain of command a lot that you need to call and say, I need to speak to the charge nurse and say, um, we are not okay with this. We don't feel like our loved one is safe. He says he doesn't feel safe. Once again, don't have a patient circumventing you. That's not helpful. Um, you know, that he's being medically neglected. Nobody's checking on him. You know, whatever, There, everybody has their own thing on top of that. Like he says X, Y, Z, why haven't you addressed this? Uh, but you're not actually treating him. Um, there are protocols you're using all around the world. You're not using, and it is not okay that he's by himself. And so I need, some, I need somebody to call me back. I know you're busy. They yeah. are busy. I know you're busy, but I need somebody to call me back within an hour to let me know how we're going to work this situation out. And when you said it's not helpful to have a patient circumventing you, what do you mean by that? So I had one um, woman I was trying to help and I would talk to her on the phone. I thought, is she just not hearing what I'm saying? And finally, I'm like, can you have a friend call me? Like, I don't understand what's happening here. So the friend gets involved and she realized that, that her husband, who was very sick, was like, oh, it's fine. I don't want to make anyone upset. It's okay. And so then they're like, oh, he just has a crazy wife, right? Okay. So of course, sometimes I have like a wife in there and especially the older generation and the, the kids are going like, this is not good. We need to get a, a hold of this situation. And so usually they pick one of the kids who has more of a personality like mine to help them. And then like the husband steps in and is like, you guys are... I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for their behavior. Mm. It's fine. And so you can't have that happening. I always say, how many family members are involved? And is there anyone that's a pushover or can't stand conflict? I need them to say literally nothing. Like they cannot call. They cannot show up. Like they just stay out of it. Mm -hmm. Okay. And what do you want done for the patient when you actually reach somebody who can change what's happening? So I feel like in the end, the thing that's helping, honestly, the most, like I said, is getting someone in there. Right now, I have so many people that are contacting me and they're like, you know, we want the eye mask protocol or the FLCCC, the ivermectin. They want all of that stuff. And the doctors are just like, no, not our protocol. No, not our protocol. Right. Um, 
but in the end, what you really have is you have someone who's sick and they're scared and they really don't feel good and nobody's taking care of them. And how would anybody get better in that situation? And it's humanity. Everybody deserves to have a visitor. I mean, you know, if the husband takes the wife in and they say she has COVID and sticks her in the COVID patient and the COVID for the husband's already been exposed to whatever she has. Like we're not. Yeah, there's no logical reason to keep him out. There is no logical reason except for you're living your best life because you don't have to deal with family members and you can do whatever you want. You don't have to deal with informed consent. You don't have to update anyone, which they should right. be updating by the phone. Right. Uh, but at this point, I think getting someone in there, because that's been my biggest success, is that when we get someone in there, it, they turn around. And then, honestly, usually the staff was like, wow. That's incredible. It's so great having you here last night to the loved one. And I'm like, yeah, because it makes your life easier. Like wow. you don't have to check on this person all the time because there's someone in there doing everything. Oh, he's smiling this morning. He looks so much better. I'm like, put two and two together. So is, is it enough without changing the harmful protocols they're doing or do you need to do both? So, I mean, if it were me, if, if one of my loved ones goes into the hospital and is met, admitted to the COVID floor, we absolutely are not getting remdesivir. Like, over my dead body, I just, I get so many calls a day that there are massive problems. Um, and I would be in there. I would be in there. Right. Of course, I know all the medical stuff. And so I could be like, why aren't you doing this? Have you checked this? What's this level? All of that kind of stuff. And yeah. not everyone can do that. Um, but they should be at least doing something. If we have all of these other countries reporting that ivermectin is working, hydroxychloroquine is working, they have it's political here. It's just all politics. None of it is actually right. based on anything real. There's no reason why hospitals can't give 20 to 35 milligrams of IV vitamin C. There's just not. And at this point, they say, we don't have that here. No, well, you don't, you don't mean it, 20 to 30 milligrams. You mean 20 to 30 grams. Grams. Yeah, yeah okay. grams. So we don't have that here. I'm like, we'll order it. It'll be here by tomorrow. Why is that hard? It's not that expensive. Remdesivir is thousands and that. It's like a $30,000 treatment for five days. Right. But they don't get paid back for that. The government pays them to follow their protocol. So somebody just has to insist. Mm -hmm. And really, in the end, at this point, um, Really, we're trying to get to a family conference, like I talked about, so that they have to listen to the family um, and they have everyone talking. But at that point, I'm like, you, once you pull, when you're going to start pulling that string, like the chain of command, you're going charge nurse, um, manager, director, you know, administration, or if it's nights or weekends that you're going charge nurse, house supervisor. Um, mm -hmm. If you're going to start pulling that string, you need to have a lawyer in your pocket. And in, in on the communication with you? Well, you at least need to, like, if you go, okay, I'm going to start this, you need to be going, calling any lawyer that you know, even if it's like your business contract lawyer, like, I'm going to need a lawyer for this. In Texas, we have Texas Right to Life, and they have been working as hard as they can, and people are able to hire lawyers out of there. Um I'm sure they're completely overrun as well because it's right. just everybody, it's mass pandemonium. Um, but at that point, I just tell people, like, we'll just file suit. 
the lawyers are always like, you know how lawyers are, they don't play their cards. And so if I'm on a call with a lawyer, and they'll text me in the background, like, okay, let's just hang up, we're gonna have to file suit, but they won't say like, I'm gonna sue you. They don't do that. Yeah. Um, so I'll say, okay, just, you know, to recap, this is what you're going to do, whatever we came up with this. And this is what I what we're, we're going to do, except for we are not okay with this. And so I'm going to hang up and I'm going to talk to the family and I'm going to get the doctor's names that are involved, the nurses' names, the nurse manager, um, the CNO, the chief nursing officer, the charge nurse. And uh, we're going to turn all those people into their board for medical neglect and emotional abuse of patients. And we're going to turn this entity into Medicare and Medicaid for fraud and failure to render treatment. Right. Like, you know, and then they're like, <laughs> I tell people I have someone right now. They're like, yep, I just turned and they, they weren't successful. They didn't have an advocate working with them and they were in, I don't remember what state they couldn't find a lawyer in time. And so they're turning everyone in. I'm like, I, you're, you're, this is like you signed an oath and you're not following that. oath. Right. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think that last minute or so was really critical, you know, in addition to everything else, since we're almost out of time, I, I want to address a big issue, which is affecting billions of people right now. And that's that everybody is supposed to get injected with these shots. That I mean, just to put this in context, everybody always says a lot of these big doctors and everything that are really smart and well-intended, most of them say, I'm not anti-vax. I know vaccines saved humanity and saved the world from polio and smallpox and all this stuff. It's obvious none of us would be here without vaccines. I'm not going to say that, you know, because it's too late. To it, it always was too late to waste time saying stuff that's not true. And if you do the research, I only took it back to 1796 when Jenner was starting out with the vaccine stuff as an idea that he had. And I can't find any evidence that vaccine prevented disease in history. But I can find a lot of evidence that they were maiming and killing people, especially kids, from the beginning. And they kept getting outlawed and reinstated over and over again. So I can't say I'm not anti-vax. I'm I'm not actually categorically anti-vax. If they turned out to be, you know, a new one that was a health food or something, right. and you didn't have to use an injection, it might be okay. But um, there isn't right now. And, um, but the new one is different. As bad as all the ones that led up to it were, the new one is designed to change your genetic code. Mm-hmm. That's not a good idea, uh-uh. you know, unless you're smarter than God. And I don't get the impression that they are. And they also don't have very good motives. And it, it does very bad things to people, including apparently... From what I can tell, about one out of 200 people that gets it dies quickly. And the other ones, according to animal tests, die later, mm-hmm. you know, in a relatively short time. Mm-hmm. So, and, and you can see very quickly the health authorities working with the government, um, which is a form of fascism, actually, with the government delegating its power to, you know, non-accountable entities mm-hmm. so it can do anything it wants. It's it's getting to the point where you'll have to carry a punch card to show if you've had this week's vaccine. So I guess it's worth a sentence or two 
about why not to take them and then we'll deal with and and agree or not with me that they have no benefits at all especially the current one and then we'll see what to do if they start forcing it well i mean i've read a lot about the vaccines i read all the old studies were in the animal models where they all died um the covid vaccine yeah You you know we have like an mrna message wrapped in three lipoproteins that have never been humans and they're finding them in ovaries and other places when they're looking for those lipoproteins Uh, you know but I worked on an exemption with the genetic doctor so that he wouldn't have to get the COVID-19 vaccine for his job and he said he's read all the literature and he said this is literally genetic suicide I'm not going to do it like I will quit my job and take my money and just I can live the rest of my life you could not pay me and I'm like right right on the OB. The most doctors that I get wanting religious exemptions are obese and fertility doctors and geneticists. That's uh, interesting. That's very interesting. I wasn't, I wasn't expecting that, but at the same time, it makes sense. Um, and so I just, here we have this drug that really has no testing and it's an MRNA message and we're rewriting genetics. And I just can't believe that people think that's a good idea. Now I will tell you that the current, um, message in the media is that those of us that don't have it, we're so far and few between. And that's just a complete lie. It's a total lie. And they're using that to isolate people in their brains. Like you're the only ones that are yeah. having to deal with this fallout or you're not going to be able to travel or you're not going to be able to do this or whatever it is. And it's just not true. It's just part of that. You think they won't be able to do that because of the numbers? I think that right now they can't do that because they don't have the numbers, but their message is that they are getting the the numbers. And then, you know, they go back and forth, like we're getting the numbers. You're the only one. And then, you know, the last weekend Biden, like I, I've had it. Yeah. Right. I've had it all you want. I'm still not doing it. I'm, whatever. Our, sp- our spiritual father, Joe Biden is getting really upset with us. He's getting really upset. I'm like, yeah, my God is not upset with me. I can tell you that. You can be upset all you want. I really don't care. What do you think is the difference between the time frame in the U.S. versus Canada, New Zealand, Australia, France, places like that? Um, I'm thinking that we're going to have a very hard fall. I keep saying I think by I think that it's going to get worse before it gets better, mm-hmm. uh, and there are going to be some weak that are weak people that are going to fall because they can't take it. But there are so many people out there who are not on board with this. Um, lots of people that would be like, I used to think you were nuts or like, yep, you called it the whole time. You know, when I try to get to these people, they're like, I would never take this vaccine. And then they'll, they'll contact me and contact me. And I'll go, I just need you to back up, like back up. This didn't just happen. Like this, this freight train left decades ago. And you need to really look into that and own up to it. Like stop it with your butt polio. But polio, just stop. Like you need to, you really need to take a step back and realize it takes a long time to get people to this point where they will hand over their freedom. They will lock themselves up. They will muzzle their children. They will take a vaccine with basically no testing. That's a genetic code. It takes a long time to get to that point. You need to open your eyes and look at it. Right. So a lot of people are in two categories of fear about it. If they know it might not be good for them. One is they'll lose their job. The other is they can't go in the store. Mm -hmm. 
Yep. Is there, what do you tell people when they say, well, this is why I don't know what to do? I just tell people, there's a lot of us and we're going to figure it out. Like right. we're going to figure it out. But if you roll over and you decide genetic roulette is okay for temporary comfort that you're going to get to go on a quick airplane to the Maldives, yeah, it's not going to work out well for you. Like you're, you're in a moment of time where you have to make a real, you have to make a really big decision for you and your family for your longevity. And um, America has taught you instant gratification and being spoiled and having all the things you want, you know, in your credit card debt and all that for a long time. And this is the moment that you have to give it up. Like just rent an RV instead. You will be fine. Right. You know, but we, I just tell people, it's like I tell my community because I, so many people in my community know me. I'm like, well, we're going to figure it out. It's going to be fine, but we're going to be the ones that are going to hold our ground. And that's the end of that. Seems like people supporting each other would be a good idea too. Yeah. Just so that they don't feel isolated. I mean, there's so, you know, the, the divide and conquer thing going on in the country. Right. right it's huge. You know, um, like I told you when I came on, I was supposed to go to a funeral tomorrow and I've been disinvited because I'm not vaccinated. Yeah. But the person that died had three vaccines. And I'm like, that's, that's pretty, it's hard to get me upset, but that's pretty upsetting um, for someone I was pretty close to. But look at what people are doing to each other. People are being terrible to each other. Right. Terrible, and it's working. That's all part of the plan. If we're all divided and we feel like it's us versus them, and we're always in a fight about something or I'm right and you're wrong. It's just, it's just the insanity is going to keep going. So it's like, it's wow. fine. If you want to do what you're going to do, but you don't have to be ugly to me about what I'm going to do. Right. You well, know, you know, what would really help is second thoughts on the part of the enforcers, you know, the yeah. po- police that are going closer and closer toward the Australian model mm-hmm. for a paycheck. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know about the Milgram, the Milgram experiment, right? You know about the Milgram experiment. This is where they, you know, I'll just do a short version because we're almost out of time. But it's basically they take people off the street and they say that there's a person in a white coat who's telling them to give a shock to the person on the other side of a visual barrier if they get answers to certain things wrong or things like that. And they start turning up the voltage and see if the person will do it. And even the people who get really upset and say, I don't want to do it. The person scream. It's an actor getting the shock. And the, they start, they start screaming. And then there's this silence, you know, and maybe they hear him fall over or something. And the person is saying, I don't want to keep doing this. This is terrible. And the authority figure says, you have to, you just have to finish it. And when they get done with the test, even when they kill the person on the other side of the screen, the person was asked, why did you do it? He said, they made me do it, you know, because I was ordered by an authority figure. I had no choice. That's hypnosis. It is. Like, you always have a choice. You always have a choice. Yeah. And the choice you make might be temporarily uncomfortable, but you still have a choice. Yeah, and somewhere under all the programming, you actually have common sense, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're not supposed to remember, but it's still there. Yep. So, mm-hmm. um, without overwhelming you anymore in your own place of work, is there any way that people can stay up to date with what you're doing and what you're finding out and 
new information you want to share and things like that? You know, I don't really have an answer for that right now because I'm rearranging. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm having to rearrange because I'm overrun and it's like to the point that I can't get anything done. Right. Um, I am, I am trying to, um, you know, when your God gives you a message and you're being dense and all of a sudden you're like, Oh, I'm like, what am I going to do? I can't do all this. And then I started getting emailed. I think it was Friday. Um, I'm a nurse. I'm going to lose. I'm, I'm not going to have a job anymore. So I'm not going to be vaccinated and I'm horrified at what's going on in the hospital. I would love to be a patient advocate. And after me, the first time going, are these people crazy? I'm not hiring. Like I don't, I don't have time for this. And when I got to the fourth or fifth email, I went, Oh, thank you. Cause I kept going, I don't know what to do. I need, I right. need ideas. And finally I'm like, Oh, I just need to hire people and train them. Exactly. You need to step back a level. Right. So and that then it's I, not you I doing can, it. It's them. Exactly. Like I can just answer the questions or step in when things get really right. out of hand, whatever. Um, I do need more lawyers. You uh, become the advocate teacher. I've talked to, I have a voicemail on my phone from a lawyer. Like, can you please help me with this patient? I'm like, okay, so. These are uh, gifts and clues, right? Right. And so I'm like, okay, well, I, in my time that I, that my spare time that doesn't exist, I'm, I've already talking to a few people. And so I want to hire a few patient advocates and then I can just run them through the company for like scheduling and billing and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm working on that. I'm forming that offer and plan in my sleep practically. And I'm hoping Friday I can tackle that, but we just need more people. And I, I ha- I'm sorry, if I have an advocate, you have to kind of be, kind of have to be a bitch like me. Like you just, you have to be totally fine with conflict. That's in the job description. <laughs> yeah. Like you have, like I tell people, you have to be okay with conflict. If you know, like, I really don't like conflict. You cannot do this job. Well, not only do you have to be okay with it, you have to know what your what yeah. your array of tools are. Yeah. Because if you're okay with conflict, but they overpower you, that, yeah. that doesn't work well, as you know, well. I think sometimes the families actually have a lot of power. And I do have some people that have watched my Dr. Artist show. I had a pastor that called me way up from the panhandle um, last week and was like, thank you so much. I called this family. They did exactly what you said. And Mac, they got that guy turned around and he's home now and God bless you. And every, so there are people that good, good. everyone has different personalities. And so there are some people that are like, I just really need somebody to help me. And I'm like, I just really don't like, I have my own, my own caseload that I'm dealing with. You know right, what I mean? Right. So I think if I could even just find people that can do that, and people were like, yes, I want to hire someone to help me so that I can do everything I can for this person. Then that's what we need to do. And I feel uh, a little dense that it didn't occur to me before everyone started emailing well, it has me. To be the right, it has to be the right time anyway. Yeah. You know, because maybe you've gone through enough so that now it fits right together. Mm-hmm. Making yourself unnecessary on your current level. You know, and I think part of me just thought, wow, this is so horrible. Like, this can't keep up forever. And then it really hit me um, that, no, it's it's bad. It's getting worse. And this this Now that the hospitals have done this with this subject, where are we going to be with all the other subjects or all the other um, diseases and things like that in the future? So they right. just like, you made your bed. 
you're going to have to lie in a hospitals and now we're coming for you. I don't know what else. Is yeah, exactly. And an organization is going to form by itself around what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So that you're just going to be making sure it stays on track. Yep. Yep. So, sounds exciting to me. Yeah. I'm so I'm like, I'm overrun. Don't ever be like, yes, that's amazing. And find my office email. Right. But if that's there's somebody out there who's like already run huge organizations or done anything sort of similar that wants to help. Uh, like I always tell people, don't just message me to message me. Like if you really have something to offer me, then message me because I'm, I'm too overrun. But I do get people every once in a while, I'm like, yes, that's exactly what I need. Please help me because I'm a judge personality. That's why I'm good at this, but I cannot invent my way out of a paper bag. Right, <laughs> right, right, yes. right, yeah. right. <laughs> Exciting. Okay, yeah. well, um, we'll try not to harass you for a while for any more I, shows, like I, I just, it's, I want to help everyone. I really do. But I know. It's, it's hard to just be like, I can't. It just can't respond. It's not even possible. Well, it's it's just saying the organizational work now mm-hmm. is top priority. Yep. You've got to clone yourself. Yeah. And, and then you step back and just watch over the clones that they do the right thing. Yeah. And I think even just rewatching the segment of what, you know, where I kind of went through, this is the chain of command and this is where you need to go. Or watching yeah. the Dr. Artist show more than once, like where you're like, yes, that's what I need to do. She can help me. I'm like, no, watch it again. Yeah. Take notes and like really get the process down and go, oh, she said, I need to find a lawyer in case we get to that point. Right. You know, yeah. and and do it like you, you can do it. You don't have to. You're not like cussing people out. You're just you're steadfastly with a spine of steel. Like I understand. Your right. Pain, but- and if you start feeling helpless, recognize it's a program. Yep. It's not you. Mm-hmm. And it's not true. Completely true. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Exciting. Hold on. We'll say goodbye in the break here and um, talk to you soon. Okay, you guys, that was uh, Michelle Routon. And I've been wanting to get her back on for quite a few months now because we hadn't talked to her. I don't think we've had her on during the pandemic, official pandemic time. And she's done some great work. She just, she's overwhelmed now. So I don't, we don't want to send people to communicate with her unless they are just, you know, perfectly suited to be a real hardcore patient advocate in the hospital for people that need to be protected uh, against uh, harmful practices and things like that. She's made a place called Wonderfully Made Wellness Sanctuary in Texas. And again, don't flood them with communications because she's overwhelmed at the moment. But you can watch what they're doing, read about what they're doing. And um, as I say, in addition to the interview that we just did, uh, she did a, a great interview with Dr. Brian Artis. You know, none, none of us are or should be competing at all for viewers. We should be supporting each other. And when we're somebody's doing good work like... Dr. Artis is doing, I'd like to send people to his interviews because they've been great. Um, anyway, Michelle is uh, saving a lot of people's lives at the moment with information, and we want to support that. So there are parts of the interview that we just did where she gets into really specific protocol suggestions, and I think it would be good to listen to those as many times as you need to to get it to sink in. Um, how to protect uh, 
people that you're connected to in the hospital that you don't want to be mistreated. Uh, there's some really good suggestions for that. Uh, how to stay out of the hospital. She went over personal protocols that, that she likes and then, um, hopeful insight into the fact that she thinks there's so many of us, if we can stay in touch with each other, that they're not going to be able to turn the world into the prison camp that they want. And I think hopefully she's right and we'll all do the most we can to see that come about. Um, So I'm not going to give you any special sites to go um, connect with Michelle because she doesn't have any right now. She's just watch for her name, Michelle Routon, R-O-W-T-O-N, appearing on other people's shows, Dr. Artis, our show, and, and I'm sure more. And um, she'll be in demand all over the place on the good platforms, I'm sure. Um, I think that's about it. It was a little longer than we planned, but she was nice enough to stay. Uh, Stay in touch with the platforms that were still on the air by going to lostartsradio.com. And um, you can find all the show links there to all the free archives, which are extensive. <clears throat> and our new platforms on uh, BitChute Bit and Brighteon, uh, where we've been for a long time on Blog Talk Radio and quite other audio and visual platforms, audio and video. I think that's about it. We have donate buttons there if you want to help us stay on the air uh, at lostartsradio.com and also at subscribestar.com slash lostartsradio. Um, the funds are very helpful and would make the difference between us keeping going and not. And then if you want to get deeper into all this, all of the, this work and start upgrading your own lifestyle, like Michelle was talking about and get into aspects of changing consciousness, which changes situations. Uh, we do that at planetaryhealingclub.com. So you're welcome to check that out. Planetaryhealingclub.com. And I think that's about it. So the main thing is take care of yourself, especially when things are challenging like they are now. Keep yourself in good physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual shape. It's the most generous thing you can do because if you take care of yourself, it spreads and encourages other people. So I think, you know, it's important to remember that. Take care of yourself. You're, you know, it's, it's the opposite of what we're being told, that we're each insignificant because we're only one person. And uh, it's the opposite. Anybody who really puts the work in, upgrades their own lifestyle, puts the focus into a positive mindset to help others is going to be more important than millions who are asleep. So you can do as much good as you let yourself do. Take care of yourself. And uh, I think that's about it. Now, this is our Sunday show. We have a Saturday show, too, which is on uh, Saturday afternoon, U.S. time, 4.30 Pacific and 7.30 Eastern, and that's a half hour before the meeting of Planetary Healing Club. And I'll see you at both of those. Take care of yourself and have a good week, and we'll see you next time. Introducing Lost Arts Radio on Subscribestar.com. Just go to Subscribestar.com slash Lost Arts Radio to find our rewards program, offering 10 different giving levels starting at just 5 bucks a month. We offer incredible value for any rewards level, from extra monthly interview videos not available publicly to subscription-based Planetary Healing Club videos once, twice, or three times a month, 
to private counseling sessions with Lost Arts Radio host Richard Sachs, to tech help with me, Doug Diamond. We even have one option where you can be the star on Lost Arts Radio as our guest on a specially produced show just for you. We conduct an interview with you and broadcast it to our growing network and listenership. Our subscribe star levels are one of a kind and offer great rewards for any budget. Please help support Lost Arts Radio. We can't do it without you. With increasing censorship on many of our channels, we really need your support today to keep doing what we're doing. As Richard says, we're not even at survival level yet. Lost Arts Radio has three weekly shows. Lost Arts Radio Live each Saturday night at 7.30 Eastern, 4.30 Pacific, which is a live stream currently on multiple platforms in case we get banned from some of the larger ones. Right now, we're on Facebook Live, Twitch, and DLive. You can access these broadcasts by going to www.lostartsradio.com live for all the links to those channels. The Planetary Healing Club meets right after Lost Arts Radio Live at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific on Saturday nights. And our Sunday show with guests airs at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific on Sunday nights on our Blog Talk Radio channel, our YouTube channels, Facebook pages, and on Brideon. Be sure to sign up for our free email list just in case we do get banned on big text platforms. It's just a matter of time, really. They don't like the stuff we talk about, and they do not want the truth out there. In fact, they have already attacked us numerous times. Join our free email list so we can let you know where we are and how to access our shows. The sign-up button is right on the top right on most pages of our website. The best starting point for all things Lost Arts Radio is our main site, lostartsradio.com, where you can find the hottest news selection videos that we curate just for you. Those are on the homepage and added to daily, as well as articles and breaking news about information you really need to know. Our show archives, the 10 most recent shows, are right on our homepage, as well as our Blog Talk Radio page at blogtalkradio.com slash lostartsradio, or just click the All Things Radio Show tab right on our website. We're in the podcast directory on iTunes, and all of our shows except the banned ones are on our YouTube channel at Lost Arts Radio. Our Brideon page is really taking off, and we often have editors' picks videos right on their homepage. Visit brideon.com slash channel slash Lost Arts Radio. On our site, you can also access our free listener forum as well as sign up for the Planetary Healing Club, which is just $25 a month, where you get private access to a one-on-one interaction with host Richard Sachs and myself and the other club members who participate live. More info can be found at planetaryhealingclub.com. We're providing solutions in there to make the world a better place. Come join us. Stay tuned because up next, you'll get to hear a really great song by an independent artist that we're doing our best to support. Go to lostartsradio.com slash music for the full list of all the great songs and bands that we spin on our audio-only podcast shows. If you're in a band and want to submit a song for consideration for airplay on Lost Arts Radio, visit my website at diamonddiscaudio.com for more information about the music placement, mastering, and mixing work that I do. Thanks again for listening to and supporting Lost Arts Radio. We love having you as part of our family to learn, experience, and grow with.